Thank you for being here. You want to grab your Bible, turn to Psalm 127. Last week we started a new series leading us into Easter. We are ascending into Easter with the Psalms of Ascent, a grouping of Psalms found between Psalm 120 and Psalm 134 that these pilgrims would sing as they journeyed into Jerusalem. We're going to use our imagination this morning a little bit. Uh, Imagination seems to be something that we allow children to have, but we all need imagination uh, if we are going to experience and get just the tiniest glimpse of the fullness of God. We need imagination because you can't fit a God like that into our normal everyday uh, thinking. And so if you're going to read the scripture and understand who God is and what he's doing, then you have to have some kind of imagination. And so if you could fire that up with me this morning, that would be fantastic. Imagine that you are with me. Uh, we are first century Jewish people living in Palestine somewhere uh, three times a year. We and our whole clan, our whole people, our whole village, our whole city, if we're able, would journey to Jerusalem. Uh, Three times a year, the Passover holiday, remembering how God delivered the Israelites, our ancestors, out of Egypt back in the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament. Fifty days later, we'd be back in the holy city of Jerusalem celebrating Pentecost, remembering how God gave our people, uh, the Jewish people, the law from Mount Sinai. And then at the end of the year, in the fall, we would come back to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles, to thank God for all that he had done for us in that calendar Year. So three times a year we would journey to Jerusalem, and as we journeyed, we would be ascending up into Jerusalem because Jerusalem is built on a mountain. It's surrounded by mountains. Most of us lived in low-lying places, and so you're literally ascending up into this city, and you're also ascending spiritually. You're coming to worship God in His city, the city of Jerusalem, in the temple. And as they would journey, they would sing these songs, Psalm 120 through 134. Now the tunes have been lost to us. Uh, We don't know the melodies, we don't know the pauses, but we do know the words. So Psalm 127, this is a song they would have sang together on the road. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. For he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Now, as you're reading that, it feels like we're reading two separate psalms, doesn't it? You kind of have the first section, which is about, you know, uh, somebody building a house in vain and a city uh, being watched in vain. And and then you get to the second half, and the second half is about children, and, and, and they seem a little bit unrelated, but they're not. We see that in some of the language it's used, the language that's used for builders. It comes from the same Hebrew word that's used for uh, sons or children later on. And so we can't see that in English, but in the original language, they, those words look the same. Plus, they're really talking about the same idea, these two sections. They're both talking about as you're doing whatever it is you are doing, you are remembering the Lord. You're remembering the Lord. You're acknowledging that He is the Lord. Look at it says in verse 1, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays 
awake in vain. Now those two things, building houses, watching the city, those were normal everyday things that were always taking place. In every city, there's always somebody building a house. In every town in this time, there was always somebody staying awake in the middle of the night while everybody else slept, watching the walls, looking for the enemy coming, letting in travelers who were coming after the gates had been closed. These are two normal, everyday things. And what's puzzling to me as I'm reading this from my perspective is, it says, unless the Lord builds the house, the laborers labor in vain. But really, whether the Lord's in it or not, there's going to be a house there. I mean, I don't know if that felt sacrilegious to say that, but that's true. If you build a house, there's going to be a house there. If you watch the city... The city's going to be watched. So what does it mean that unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain? Well, it's important to remember that we live in two kingdoms. We're in transition in between two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of this world, this earth that we live in, and we do normal, everyday things like run errands and go to the grocery store. Those are normal, everyday things. But we also, as followers of Jesus, we live in the kingdom of heaven. We live in the kingdom of Jesus. And we do so at the same time. We're both in this kingdom, in our normal, everyday life. But as followers of Jesus, we very much live in this kingdom. I think what this verse is saying is that if you build a house, but you're only building the house in this world, on this earth, in very practical things, and you do not acknowledge the Lord, you do not remember the Lord, you do not invite the Lord as you're doing that normal, everyday thing, It's in vain. Vain means empty, means nothing. So when you go over here to this other kingdom, which you do live in, you built a house in this kingdom, but there's nothing here in this kingdom. It's just empty. If you watch the city, but you're only watching it on your own strength and your own power and your own routine, and you don't remember the Lord and you don't acknowledge the Lord, the city got watched over here, but the city didn't get watched over here. It's like when I was in college, uh, I've told you before, I tell you the same stories over and over again because my life is not that interesting. That my parents, you know, sent me off to college and they said, we love you so much, go get a job. And so I went to my university employment office and I sat down with the lady and she asked me about my schedule and my classes were. And I, you know, said, I don't have class Tuesdays and Thursdays. I was thinking that that would be a good time to work. And so she turns around to her filing cabinet uh, because nothing was on the internet at these days or computers. The woman did not have a computer. Can you remember those days? She pulls out an index card, a real index card, slides it across the table. She says, I think this is the job for you. It was for the groundskeeping department at my school. Really super excited. Love heavy machinery and, you know, mowing lawns. I love the smell of grass. I show up to my very first day of work. I walk in. Lawnmowers are on this side. It's beautiful. They lead me over to the other side. They hand me a bucket and a claw. My job is to pick up trash in certain zones in on the campus. Not bad. I'm going to work my way up to one of the big lawnmowers. Not a big deal. So all day long on Tuesdays and Thursdays, I was assigned a zone and I just walked around and picked up trash. You don't realize how many people smoke cigarettes until you have to pick up those cigarette butts, you know? Uh, I just said butts at church. I was pretty, pretty excited about it. <laughs> I planned it. I thought about it. I'm kidding, I didn't. <sighs> That's like a goal. I just checked it off right there. I said butts at church. 
So all day long, I'm picking up trash. And here's the thing about picking up trash with a bucket in your hand. I've, I went um, ahead without the claw because I realized that it was inefficient. You know what claw I'm talking about. I'm talking about a little thing you squeeze, and it picks up the deal at the bottom. It's really inefficient, so I just went barehanded style. Totally gross, but it, it was easier. Um, here's the thing about pick, walking around campus and picking up trash. No one wants to talk, talk to you. They just don't. They, they want to smoke their cigarettes. They don't want to talk to the person picking up their cigarettes. And so I'm just all by myself all day long. And um, I was in this real unique season of my life where God was really pouring into me with the force of a fire hydrant. Now, if that's not what you're experiencing at this moment, don't feel bad. That's not every season of my life. If you're going through a dry season right now where it feels like your prayers are not being answered and God is a long way away, I know exactly what that feels like. I've experienced that recently. But in this season of my life, it was like God was just pouring in, pouring in, pouring in, speaking, and I was hearing him a lot. It felt like my prayers were being heard in a really unique way. And so I'm in this fresh season, and i got all this time where no one wants to talk to me. And, and so I thought, well, maybe I can, I don't know, like, like pray while I'm, while I'm doing this. And so I just started to, to pray a little bit. I didn't want to be the weird kid on campus with the bucket and the trash, so I didn't pray out loud. You know, I just prayed in my head. And then I started playing a game because uh, I'm competitive, and it's kind of sick and twisted to bring it into your spiritual life, but it worked for me. Uh, I started playing this game where I tried not to go 30 seconds without remembering Jesus, without praying, without asking, without praising. Now, that sounds really simple right now because we're thinking and talking about Jesus a bunch right here. But I got all kinds of squirrels running around up here, and they want to go in all kinds of different directions. So it was hard for me. And I would realize a minute or two minutes or three minutes or sometimes even five minutes would go by, and I would forget, and I would bring my mind back. And it was such an amazing season. I, I got promoted um, where I got promoted. I got to ride a, a gator, you know, one of those fancy golf carts, and actually empty out the trash cans around campus, and I wasn't by myself anymore. So probably only 10 to 20 times did I actually go out and pick up trash all alone. So actually not that many in the grand scheme of things. I can still remember vividly most of those days. I told you right after Christmas that I still take my kids and Amanda back to see where I picked up trash. This is a short handful of days. Because it was the first time that I think I personally connected the dots. That if you do what you have to do over here in the kingdom of this earth, the real nitty-gritty everyday stuff that all of us have to do, if you remember the Lord over here, it happens and is applied and something is built over here in the kingdom of heaven. But what happens? Most of the time I'm not remembering Jesus or thinking about Jesus or remembering that he is Lord or acknowledging his lordship while I'm doing my everyday things. So they're in vain. It doesn't mean that they're bad. It just means that they're of no account in the place that matters most. And what did Jesus say? He said, don't store up treasures on earth in this realm. Store up treasures in heaven in this place. So all the things that we do, those everyday normal things, what the psalmist is saying is acknowledge the Lord. And what you do, what you have to do, won't be built in vain. Now you may not have a job where you can pray all day because you're going to be alone. Maybe you have a job where you have to actually talk to human beings or you have to concentrate because if you don't concentrate, somebody will lose their hand. You know, I'm not saying that you should you know, do what I'm doing, but what does it look like for you to just invite the Lord and His way and His Lordship into what it is you're doing. You may be a stay-at-home mom. What does it look like to remember the Lord as you're at home with your children?
You may be an accountant. What does it look like for an accountant to remember the Lord? Because all that everyday normal stuff that we have to do, the routine and the mundane, if we bring him into it, it doesn't just happen here. It happens there. It's not wasted. It's not forgotten. It's not lost. And so he takes that thinking and now he starts talking about children. Now, if you don't have children, uh, you're single, maybe you're not married, or you're you know, young and married and not ready to have kids, you may think, well, this is, I don't know why I came today. Uh, I'm not really interested in children. But you remember, this is a psalm that everyone is singing as they come into Jerusalem. You know, the whole clan, the whole cousins, aunts, uncles, cousins, neighbors, grandparents, grandkids, single people, first century Jewish people, uh, Jewish uh, in Israel, they're all coming into Jerusalem, and they're all singing this song. So this is a song for everybody. This is thinking about children for everybody. This is not a song that says, you know, if you're married and you don't have kids, you need to hurry up and have kids. Or if you're not married, uh, you know, you need to hurry up and get married so you can have kids. That's not what this is saying. You may have the call of Jesus on your life, which is to remain single. You may have the call, have the call of the Apostle Paul, which is to remain single so you can be fruitful for the kingdom. But whatever your status is today, unmarried, married with no kids, married with kids, married with grown kids, divorce, whatever your status is today, all of us need to be fruitful for the kingdom and all of us need to have this thinking about children. Whether it's your personal children or your nieces or your nephews or your neighbor's kids or the kids in this church, all of us need to think like this about children. This is what it's like to remember the Lord with kids. Verse 3. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. Now that word heritage, uh, it's also translated inheritance. So what he's saying is that children are an inheritance. I don't know if any of you are getting a large inheritance. If you are, probably the person next to you wants you to share with them when you get it. Right? But what's an inheritance? An inheritance is not something that you earned. Inheritance is something that somebody else earned that they are now giving to you. You don't really have any claim to it. You don't have any right to it because you didn't earn it. So he's saying children are a heritage from the Lord. They're inheritance. They are a gift from the Lord. Now, that's not always how we think about our children, is it? Right? What do we think about our children? They're my children. When they're doing something really awesome, that's my son. When they're doing something not as awesome, you are my son and you're going to pay for that. Those are my children. Now, sometimes when we have that thinking, even though... They are your creation. When we think of them as our children, my children, then we can do whatever we want to. We can raise them my way. We can do what I think is best. But they're not our children. They are a gift from the Lord. And when you experience a gift, you need to remember the giver. You need to remember who... It was that gave you those children, who it was that gave you the influence and the relationship with those children. And to acknowledge the giver in the gift. See, our confession as Christians is that Jesus is Lord. So you don't just turn that off anytime you want to. Now, your confession as a follower of Jesus is Jesus is Lord. So Jesus is the, the Lord when you're at work, and Jesus is the Lord when you're at home, and Jesus is the Lord when you raise your kids. 
You don't turn that off. You acknowledge the one who gave you those children. And look how he describes children. The fruit of the womb, a reward. So that means when you have children, when you have a relationship with a child, it comes with the congratulations of God, not an I'm sorry. Now, that feels right to us right now. Like, of course, it comes from congratulations. Children are from the Lord. They're heritage from the Lord. We're all thinking about that. But what about when you wake up and you're super grumpy? Not that that ever happens to anybody. What about when you've had a long day at work? What about when they're asking the same 15 questions over and over and over and over again? They're stuck on a never-ending cycle of, what's that? What's that? Why is that? What's that? What's that? Why are you doing that? Why are you doing that? What's that? What's that? Why are you doing that? What's that? What's that? Can we go to McDonald's? Can we go to McDonald's? Can we go to McDonald's? Can we go to Chuck E. Cheese? Can we go to Chuck E. Cheese? What about Chuck E. Cheese? Can we go to Chuck E. Cheese? They're a reward. God says congratulations to you if you have a relationship with a child. Not I'm sorry. But sometimes in those moments, we start looking at our children as a burden that we have to deal with instead of a reward. Now listen, there it, the burden is on you to raise these children, to invest in these children, to train the children, but they are not a burden. God wanted to reward you, and so he gave you a child. It's a gift. And so there's value in those children. I mean, that, we see that in the way that Jesus interacts with them. You remember the story? I mean, everybody remembers the story. The children are being brought to Jesus. These little babies, wanting, the mom's wanting Jesus to bless these kids. And what are the disciples doing? The disciples are doing what adults try to do. Adults try to keep children away from adults. And Jesus says, no, let them, let them come. And what is his reason for letting them come? Because the kingdom of heaven belongs to them. This has dawned on me uh, this morning that, you know, I like to think of this as like the main event. Like right here, you know, me and you. This is like the main event. This is like church. This is, if God is going to focus his attention on anything, it's going to be right here. You're here, I'm here, and, you know, I'm always thinking wherever I am is the main event. Wherever you are, you're thinking that's the main event. And so, like, this is the main event. We're here together. But actually, you know, I don't think if God is looking down and he's really thrilled about a gathering this morning, I don't think it's in here. I think it's about 100 yards from here where all of our children are gathered. I think if he's pumped about anybody being together this morning, it's not us. It's over there with our children. Why? Because the kingdom of heaven is here. I, over there. I don't know if the kingdom of heaven is in here because maybe you've had a bad week and I've had a bad week and you got in a fight on the way here. And so you're in the flesh and I'm in the flesh and we're all locked up with our flesh and our twist, tw- twisted sinful stuff. But I guarantee you over there is the kingdom of Jesus. That's why you need to volunteer to be in the kids' ministry. Because it's not second string. It's not, oh, i got to miss the service. No, you get to be in the kingdom of heaven if you're over there with those children. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 18, this, is, this will blow your mind, this blew my mind, that maybe it's possible that our children have, has an angel assigned to them. And that angel is always looking at the face of God. You and I don't get that. 
I don't think there's an angel hovering around me right now looking out for me, but I think there is one around my kids. They're a reward. They're not a burden. I don't reorient my schedule around them so it's most convenient for me. No, there's value in children. Whether they're your children or somebody else's children, there's value there. Listen, that's why abortion doesn't square with what we believe. It's not a political thing. It's not this right, that right. No, children are a reward. They're not a curse. They're a blessing. And you and I need to remember that when we come into situations that are around us where there's unwanted pregnancy. That that child is not a curse. It's a reward. It's a blessing. And listen, if you do foster care and adoption this morning, and we are for you. You are doing the work of pro-life. Pro-life is not holding a picket sign. Pro-life is opening up your home and your family to a child who would not have a mommy and daddy otherwise. And so if you... If you adopt, if you've opened your home to foster care and you do that, man, we are with you all the way. Whatever we can do for you, we will open up the bank for you. And if you know somebody who does that, you come around them. You ask them to go to eat with you. You invite their whole family to eat with you. They may have 15 kids. You invite them. You drop off gift cards to Target at their house. Because what would it be like if you opened up your home and family to another mouth? What would you be thinking about? You think, can I pay for this other mouth? And so they might need a little help. But they're doing the work of the kingdom. Children are a reward. We value them. And look how Leslie describes them in verse 4. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. You know, arrows are useful to a warrior but they're only useful if they get into the bow and they get loosed into the war. Children are arrows in our quiver, but they don't stay in the quiver forever. The child or children that you have responsibility for, you are not the end for them. You're just a holding place until it's time for them to be loosed in Jesus' name. See, we like to think of our family as like this to end. Like we are, the four of us, four amigos. That's it, five, six, whatever you got rolling in your family. And then maybe you'll invite a son-in-law or daughter-in-law into the family if they are worthy, you know. Maybe. I loved the day that I started getting as many Christmas presents as Amanda and her sister at her parents' house. I was like, then I'm in. I'm like, I'm in. <laughs> I, I like, went, for, went from like two at first into now I got three. You know, it's amazing. But your family, those sweet children that you have now, however old they are, that's not the end. It's, the, it's just a holding spot. But what do we like to do? We like to make the quiver as comfortable as possible. It's like, no, let's invest in the quiver. And we don't invest in the arrow. We make the quiver so amazing and peaceful that they don't ever want to leave the quiver. That's why I read a statistic a few years ago when I was in my late 20s that 30% of my generation, of the men in my generation, still lived at home with their mom and dad. 30%. 
of men in their late 20s. Now, if you're currently at home with your mom and dad, um, bless you. I'm sure you've got a reason. You've got an exit plan. It's going to be fine. No offense. But 30% don't need to live at home with mom and dad. I don't know what happened, but I'm thinking that for some of us, arrows, the quiver was a lot more comfortable than the war. The quiver was safe. The quiver was peaceful. The quiver had everything that I need. But that's not the point of having children to keep them in the quiver. The point is to train them up because God is going to send them out one day. Think about the massive potential that your children have. Not just potential to earn money and generate cash and be successful in business. I'm talking about the potential in the kingdom of heaven. Think about how much potential they have right now. You may have a world changer in your home right now. You may have the next leader of some amazing movement through the Spirit of God that is three years old and sleeps under your roof. You may have somebody who's going to be so passionate about their faith that they caught from you that they're going to tell everybody that they know and see when they go to school about Jesus. And they're going to change somebody else's eternal destiny. Think about the potential that is under your care right now. But it won't be realized if we do not train them to be loosed. Yeah, war is always more uncomfortable. War is always more awful than the quiver. But God made them to send them out. So what are you trying to accomplish right now? In Jesus' name, with your life, what are you trying to accomplish? It could be something big. It could be something really small. It could be just loving on a neighbor right now that's hurting. What is it that you're trying to accomplish? If you have children under your care, whether they're you know, just the tiniest little ones or older ones, invite them into it. Invite them in. Last Saturday, uh, one of our amazing families uh, had a, a, a loved one in the hospital. And so uh, I was going up to visit them and uh, pray for them and encourage them. And Amanda and Annabeth were off going and doing girl stuff. And, and so I brought Jackson with me. And that's kind of a risk. He's seven years old and he's a really awesome kid. But I don't like always know like how he's going to act. You know what I mean? If you have a seven-year-old, you know what I'm talking about. Like most of the time, it's awesome. Sometimes not always awesome. And so I'm taking him to a hospital. And like you don't want to mess up the hospital visit. You know, like if you mess up the hospital visit, like there's no backtracking out of that because that's like a moment of need and you blew it, you know. And so there's a little bit of risk bringing my seven-year-old. And so on the way to the hospital, I'm explaining to him, you know, who we're going to see and, you know, why we're going to see him because they're sad because they have somebody that they really, really love that's in the hospital right now and he's really, really sick. And so we're coming to encourage them and to pray for them and just be with them. I said, that's part of daddy's job of being a pastor. And so you're coming with me. So you need to come and you need to smile. And they need to be glad that you came. If they're not glad that you came, well, it's going to be bad. <laughs> and then I bribed him like every good parent. <laughs> I said, if you will come and let daddy talk, don't interrupt me a bunch of times, then you can pick where we go to eat. And uh, he picked Burger King, which was a blessing and a curse. But it was great. He came and he just sat in a chair. He, you know, they talked to him, and, but it was sweet. And he let me do the thing that I came to do. What was really neat is as we were leaving, we were walking back through the hospital on the way to the car. He starts asking me all these kinds of questions about being sick and about dying and about heaven and about why we would go and do that and how we can help people. It opened up this amazing conversation for us. And it was, it was neat to see the light bulb just a little bit, just flicker for him. 
Because hopefully, by God's grace, one day, he's going to have his own hospital to walk into, whatever he does. He's going to go visit somebody else in the hospital, and I'm not going to be there. God's going to loose him into this world in Jesus' name, and it's my job to make sure he and his sister is ready to leave the quiver. Because they're useful. And when you start thinking of, of children as valuable and useful, suddenly your perspective starts to change. Look at how he ends verse 5. And he shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. It means if you acknowledge the Lord and invite his lordship into the way that you are caring for children, you will not regret it. That doesn't mean that they won't ever embarrass you, because they will. It doesn't mean that they're always going to make every right decision, because they won't. It doesn't even mean, I don't think, that they will pick up the faith that you so desperately want to hand to them. I think it does mean that if you invite the Lord into the way that you raise your children and think about children and care for children, and you have His perspective and His way, you'll be able to hold your head up with any parent on planet Earth and say, I did it the Lord's way, which is the true way and the right way. You won't be put to shame. I want you to turn to Genesis chapter 11. And this is where we'll end this morning. This is the ultimate building built in vain. This is the ultimate city watched in vain. Verse 1. It says, Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. It means they all spoke the same language. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. And when they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore the Lord confused, therefore the name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. So you got all these people speaking one language, settling in the same place. They get together. They say, let's build a tower up, up into the heavens. Let's build this massive city. And look at verse 4. Look at their motivation for doing that. Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves. Lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. They're building this massive tower for two reasons. To make a name for themselves so that their name will be respected. And for security. 
Listen, I have done my fair share of parenting to get respect for my name and for security. The thing I think the Lord wants to set on the table this morning, for me at least, is if the primary purpose, thrust, and goal of your family is security, you are not raising sons and daughters, you're raising Babel. If the primary goal and motivation and point of your family unit is respect for your last name. You are not raising sons and daughters. You are raising Babel. But listen, there's a reason all of us run after security. Security is great. Security is secure. And nothing brings out insecurity in us like children. The most terrified I've ever been in my whole life, honest to goodness, was before Jackson's very first parent-teacher conference. This insecure about him, insecure about me. Every parent is insecure. I remember when I was in college, I was wearing those disposable contact lenses. You know what I'm talking about? The kind you're supposed to wear for a week and then throw away. Well, after you throw them away for a week, you got to buy a new pair and I didn't have any money. So I just wore the same pair over and over again. My mom back in Missouri, who can't monitor my day-to-day life at this time, is so nervous that I'm going to ruin my eyes that she pays for me to have laser eye surgery, which is, you know, rewarding, terrible behavior and unwise thinking, but it worked fine for me. Just insecurity, always in a parent, always in a parent, always in somebody who cares for children. And there's wisdom to live with, but the point of your family is not to make the quiver feel safe. That's vain. That's empty. And man, I could list forever all the things I've done in the name of respecting my name. You've been in that situation, and I think it applies to everyone, whether you're, you have infants or elementary school or high school or grown children. You're talking with other parents, and they're like, what's your name? What do you do? Well, I do this, and I do this. It's my job. And then where does the conversation always lead. You got any kids? Yeah, I got two kids. I got three kids. I got four kids. I got five kids. Oh yeah, what do they do? Well, Jackson does fill in the blank. And whatever you fill in the blank right there, that's a lot of pressure on that thing. Because you know that respect is on the other end of that answer if you answer correctly. And disrespect is on the other end of that answer if you answer incorrectly. Oh yeah, Jackson does basketball. And he's the best one. Yeah, Jackson is a spelling bee champion of the universe. Jackson's training to be a ninja, it's amazing. Yeah, Annabeth, right now she's four. She's memorizing the book of Proverbs. It's just really unreal. I'm totally blown away by it, but just praise God, praise Jesus. See, that gets you respect. Gets respect for their name, which trickles back to respect for my name. There's not as much respect when you say, well, what does Jackson like to do? Well, he likes to ride his bike. 
What's Jackson like to do? He likes to swim. Oh, swim team? No, he likes to flail around in the pool, like that kind of swimming. No respect there. There's no respect in climbing trees. There's no respect for playing out in the front yard with a ball. So what do we do? We overextend our children. We sign them up for something to do every week. Why? Because they want to? No. Because respect for my name. Because if they're not doing that thing and this thing and that thing and this thing and that thing and this thing, then people aren't going to respect them. If people don't respect them, then they don't respect me. That is Babel. And what did God do to Babel? He scattered Babel. You want a close family? You want a family that loves each other, that's knit at the soul? Don't build Babel. Put Jesus Christ, the ultimate uniter, in the center of your home. What does Jackson do? Jackson lives in a family that loves Jesus with all their guts. What does Annabeth do? Annabeth is a part of a family that has a mission that's so big. We'll spend every ounce of our money and our energy trying to accomplish it. Oh, and by the way, we play basketball and they're great. And we do spelling bees and they're ninjas too. Man, so many of us, our homes are well-ordered, well-respected. Towers and monuments to ourselves. Listen, it will suck you in. I don't care if you're rich or if you're poor, the way our culture parents and treats and sees children will suck you in. And in that moment, we have to remember we don't just live in one kingdom. We live in two. And so I'm not going to play by the rules of this kingdom because this kingdom is fading away. It's a tent. It's perishing and it's being destroyed even before our very eyes. That kingdom over there, moth and rust can't destroy. Moth and rust cannot destroy my family if I store up treasures in this kingdom. So some of us need to start looking at those lives that are under our umbrella of care differently. They may be tiny little babies. They may be grown adults, but they are a reward to you. They have intrinsic value in the heart of God. They are an arrow that is waiting to be unleashed in Jesus' name. And respect for me and you, I don't have anything to do with it. The only name that I want attached to my children is the name above every name. So some of us, we need to start saying no to some things. Some of us need to start saying yes to better things. And maybe we could just start by just saying, Lord, I invite you in to helping me raise these children helping me influence these children. What do you want us to do? Because it matters. It matters for the future. Because there is a heritage 
that's being passed down. And I want to pass down the right one. Father, we commit our children to you. God, forgive me for building Babel in my home in the name of keeping up. I want you to just take a second and just ask the Lord if he's speaking anything specific to you, any specific way he wants you to apply what we've come around today. It may just be nothing more than encouragement to keep moving in the same direction you have been moving in. Seal that in us in Jesus' name.